0: Yes, Daniel. Daniel the prophet. He is one of my favorite characters, too. You know, it seems that I, I've, over the years, had lots of different favorite Bible characters. And you know what I finally realized? Is my favorite Bible character happened to be whichever one I was studying at the time. And, and so, you know, it did it, go from Moses to Joshua to... You know, I had some trouble with the judges, but then, you know, David and, and then, oh, Hezekiah and then Elijah. Um, but Daniel's one of those that's way, way up there. He is an exciting character. But before we dive into the lesson this morning, let us, let us take a moment to stop and to ask our God and Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. So let us pray. Our gracious God, we bow to you and give thanks to you for your word, the Bible you have given to us. It is so exciting to learn of events in the history of this world, in the history of your working with men. It is so exciting to know that we have an accurate and reliable record, and we are thankful for it. Gracious God, teach us today, open our hearts and minds, and show us the truth of your word. And may we also learn from these things written aforetime, these things written in the past, that we might learn and apply truth in our own lives today. May we learn from Daniel and the different individuals that we meet in this time of history. May their lives uh, influence our lives. May we learn from them. And we pray, dear Spirit of God, that you would teach us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were starting in Daniel. We are. But let's start off in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, where we find a reference to Daniel. Now, I hope that as soon as I said Hebrews chapter 11, that most of you knew where we were going. For this is a famous chapter that we call the Hall of Faith. These are the men throughout history who are recorded as those who had faith in God. And I'd like you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 32 and 33. Here he has just finished, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling us about great men of faith throughout history, specifically of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abram and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents and Moses and Joshua and Rahab. And then in verse 32, he writes, "'And what shall I more say?' For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Now, you might be wondering and saying, why I don't see Daniel in there. Oh, you do. He's one of those prophets. He's one of those prophets. And we know for sure he's one of those prophets, because as we read into verse 33, we find a reference to him specifically who, these, who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Well, that last one certainly is Daniel, wouldn't you say? Indeed, Daniel is one, well, you can't say that he stopped the mouths of lions, but through faith, the lions' mouths were stopped. And they were hungry lions, too. And it says that it was through faith. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 in the first verse tells us a definition of what faith is. But in general, faith is simply the believing of God and what God has said and also in God's faithfulness. So God is faithful and true, and so we believe in him as a person. That's one part of faith, is believing in him, in him, he, God, our creator. But it also is in believing his word. And we're going to see through the life of Daniel where he had faith. Daniel had faith. So turn with me back to the book of Daniel. It tells us here, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't say it here, but it's implied, not only did he carry away the treasures, he carried away people, hostages, and Daniel was one of those. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to introduce to you the book of Daniel. And we're going to dive into this book over the coming weeks and go through each chapter, but this morning, I'd like to give you the big picture of it so that as we're going, you know the direction we're going. All right? And so here you can see up on the screen an acronym. Did you catch the acronym? How many of you already caught the acronym before I pointed it out? Oh, good, good, good. Yes, we see an acronym. Daniel's faith. There are exactly 12 letters in those two words, and there are exactly 12 letters in the book of Daniel. And so if you learn this acronym, Daniel's faith, you will understand and have an overview and a summary of the whole book of Daniel. Now, this morning, I have some resources for you, and one of them includes this acronym. And I really want you to take some time over this week and in the coming weeks to memorize this acronym because it will help you to understand how the whole book fits together. Because guess what? Newsflash. As we keep finding in some of these Hebrew books they're not recorded in chronological order. Jeremiah wasn't. All kinds of times we find that, and here we find it again in the book of Daniel. And so as we're looking through this, we can find some of these details and all of this flowing together. So I have some resources for you. The first thing that I have for you is a family Bible reading booklet. So you've seen these before. This is where um, you read a chapter, and then I have a list of questions for you to go through and answer. I've printed enough for every household to have a, co- a printed copy, and I will pass out also a sign-up sheet that if you want most of the members of your family or all of your members of your family have their own copy, we can do that, but um, I'm not going to print one for everybody if you're not going to use it. So if you're going to use it and you're planning to use it, let me know, and I will print one as many as needed. But I have enough for each household Today, hear of family Bible readings. Now, I've got something else for you here that I know um, some of you parents will like because I, as a parent, like it. Sometimes when you read questions, you're not quite sure what the teacher, me, am asking. So I have also prepared for the book of Daniel a key. So all the questions that are in the family Bible reading, I've also given you what the answers are. Now, you can find all of the answers in your Bible, or if they're not gonna be able to be found in your Bible, I give you reference of how you can find the answers. But I have these two resources for you. And so again, I'll pass around a sign-up sheet for you of how many your family would like to have. So both family Bible reading and an answer key. And then also I have for you um, a book of charts. So I have another resource, where here you can see right on the front cover, you have that acronym. And you'll see as we go through this study a timeline but then in this timeline, you can see it. Sometimes people say, I can't see it up there on the screen. Well, this one's pretty easy to see on a screen, but it's all together here for you to take home or for you to keep in your Bible, and you can just follow along and see what all is going on in that timeline. There's also a chart that shows um, a detail of an outline of what's going on in Daniel chapter 9, where it talks of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel. And that's a chart that is very helpful to have as a reference. And then also a chart that summarizes um, the two, two of the visions in the book of Daniel, one dealing with the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw and one dealing with the vision of the different beasts and how they're paralleled. And so this is here for you to kind of visualize that and also an ex- explanation as to what the vision um, meant or just an outline of that. And then also another vision regarding the ram and goat on the back of it. So again, this is another resource I have for you. Again, I have enough for each family, each household um, today, but if you want more, I'm going to start this down through on both sides, and you can sign up for however many your family needs. And I know some of you may not be able to guess there, but just let me know how many you would like to have. And while we're talking on resources, our library has lots of resources on the book of Daniel, and I pulled a stack of those off. And I put the, I'm going to put these back on the featured shelf back here, so if you have any other questions and study as you're studying and learning about the book of Daniel, I want to let you know that we have these resources too, and you can check those out from our library. All right? Well, let's look at this book of Daniel. We see here it's talking about in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Well, how does this book fit in with all of the rest of history and with the Old Testament? Well, you know we've seen our foundational books of the Bible, right? You know all of these, of all the books, that if we put them in order, we could get the history of the Old Testament. Well, where does Daniel fit into these 11 books? Can anybody tell me, looking at this, between or with which books? Can anybody tell me? Where Daniel fit in? Do you know where Daniel fits in? Yes, You're exactly right. That's where Daniel fits in. Daniel fits in almost exactly in that time period of the 70-year exile, right there in between 2 Kings and Ezra. That's where the book of Daniel fits. Now, let's look at the big history, picture of history from the beginning um, at creation. We see this chart. You've seen this before. We learned of creation at the beginning of time, right? When God created all things. We have the fall of man, then we had the flood, the great flood of Noah, then the Tower of Babel, where we have the establishment of nations and peoples began to spread all over the world. Well, then God chose one particular family in the family of Abraham and the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're called patriarchs. And then that family, God chose to do a special work, a special plan and it was especially through Jacob who became known then as Israel and then we find the children of Israel in Egypt but Moses comes and with God leads them out of Egypt to the promised land and we have Joshua who helps them in conquering the promised land and we have the era of the judges and then we have the era of the kings and then we have a captivity and a restoration. Can't forget both of those pieces. And then we have what we call the intertestament. That's the time period that exists between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. That's the intertestament between the testaments. And then we have the birth of Jesus Christ and his life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And now we find ourselves in the church age. Oh, 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 oh somebody tell me Where does Daniel fit in on this timeline? Does he fit in the church age? Are you sure? Okay. Where does he fit in? Give me the name. Where does he fit in? Lincoln? Oh, was that hard? Didn't we just already see that Daniel fit in the 70-year captivity? Yes, he fits in right there in the time of the captivity and the restoration. Now, look here again. It says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. And it was in the third year of Jehoiakim that Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem. But I want to tell you something. Really, the book of Daniel doesn't begin in this third year of Jehoiakim. Why? Because that verse right there, whether you realize it or not, is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Actually, it's the fulfillment of many prophecies. And we're not just talking about prophecies that Jeremiah made within just the last few years, we're talking about prophecies that took place over a thousand years before. Let's look. Let's look. We see here some ancient history, don't we? This is like, oh my, a thousand years before the time of the captivity. We see Moses and Joshua and the elders and the judges. Well, the Exodus took place there in 1491 B.C. It was begun to be prophesied in the days of Moses that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, would not obey God, that they would turn from God, that they would disobey God, and they would be captives. They would be carried away out of their land. Well, we saw that fulfilled several times in the time of the judges. As you can see here, the beginning of the judges, there with, well, Moses was the first uh, really official, official judge. But then you see Othniel, whom we often associate as one of the first judges. And we continue through this history of the different judges of Ehud and Deborah and Barak and Shamgar and Gideon and Abimelech. I don't know if we could call him a judge. And then Tola and Jair and Jephthah and Isbin and Abdon and Samson, all of these judges. And we actually saw captivities happen over and over and over in the cycle of the judges. But God continues to show them loving kindness through all this period. And as we continue at the end of the era of the judges with Samuel, who's kind of listed above the judges here, uh, being the last judge, which led into the era of the kings. And remember, the people said, we give us a king like all the other nations. Well, it wasn't quite time for them to have a king, and it definitely wasn't a king like all the other nations. But nonetheless, God gave them their demand and gave them Saul. But Saul was rejected. And then God gave them David, a man after his own heart. Then Solomon. And after Solomon died, the kingdom was divided. Actually, because of Solomon's sin, the nation was divided. So we see here, one kingdom, But then if we move into the next chart, we see now two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, they're beginning with Jeroboam I, and the southern kingdom beginning with Rehoboam. And that prophecy still exists. You turn from me, I will carry you captive out of the promised land. It's happened repeatedly on different levels, most of them rather minor. But history proceeds. These kings come. They rise and fall. We move through all of these kings, and there's a lot of them, and we come to this section. And oh, look up at the top. The nation of Israel is carried away captive to Assyria. The Assyrians come in and carry the northern ten tribes captive, and they would have carried Judah captive away, except for the godliness of Hezekiah and other faithful men in that nation to whom God showed mercy. And so Judah remained and continued. But Hezekiah, you see him? He's that last king down there on the bottom, right? Hezekiah. There's something that happened in the days of Hezekiah. Something that happened. Now, this is around, you know, in the 700s B.C. So this is, so a good 100 uh, 100 years before the captivity of Judah, over 100 years. Well, there was something that happened here that was fulfilled here in the first verses of Daniel. Keep in mind, at this time here, 100 years before the final carrying away and destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., Assyria is the world power. Babylon, why, they're just a little tribal club, Really? at this time compared to, to, to Assyria. Well, it was during this time when Hezekiah got a little proud. Now, you know, it's not really a good thing to call somebody a little proud because uh, mm, pride's just pride, and it's really ugly, and when you minimize it, it's actually maximizing it. Have You ever noticed that? When you memorize pride, it's really making it a bigger deal. Hezekiah got proud, and there were some ambassadors, emissaries, that came from this obscure, nobody-knows-about-them nation of Babylon. Do you remember that? And what did Hezekiah do with these, these emissaries from Babylon? He took them into his royal treasury, and he showed them all of his riches, all of his glory, all of his wealth. He just boasted of how much he had. Well, you remember when those emissaries of Babylon left, a prophet of God came into Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, because of your pride, your boastfulness, your arrogancy in showing the treasures of Jerusalem and your treasures, this this nation, which, oh, at this time is oh so small, it's 100 years before their world dominance, they will come to the city and they will carry these treasures captive and they will also carry your princess away captive to, to Babylon and make them eunuchs there. And so here in the 700s B.C., Hezekiah was warned that the puny little nation of Babylon would one day come into his land and carry all of these treasures away captive and his princes carried captive to Babylon. And so now we move on in our timeline and we find Daniel in 606 BC along with princes of Judah being carried away captive in fulfillment of the prophecy made to Hezekiah. And all of those vessels of the house of God and of the treasures of the king's palace were carried away captive. Just by the way, Daniel is an incredible book, and we're going to talk about this more as we keep going through the book of Daniel, because Daniel gives to us the record of fulfilled prophecy, but Daniel is also filled with prophecy. Daniel is one of the most despised books by critics and unbelievers in the entire Bible. Daniel is one of the most major, next to Jonah, is the biggest criticized book, because if if Daniel is true, then there's got to be a God, and these record, that book you hold in your hand, is inspired, because only God is omniscient, and only God knows the end from the beginning And Daniel records fulfillment of prophecy, and Daniel records prophecies that were fulfilled to the point where people say there's no way he knew that. And they're right, there is no way Daniel knew it unless he had been inspired by the all-knowing, omniscient, eternal God. And it was. It is. And so here we see a fulfillment of prophecy as Daniel, one of those princes, is carried away captive. Now, we see Daniel, and oftentimes, at least I do, I isolate Daniel in my study of the Bible. But it really fits into a bigger picture. We saw it fit into the 11 foundational books, but how does it fit in with some other things? Here's a timeline. Is that an easy timeline or what? I love that timeline. There it is. Let's put some details on here. We have Judah, final destruction of 586 B.C. That's the main key, main date everybody knows and memorizes for the destruction of jerusalem but there's a lot of things going on around that we see that the captivity ends here in 536 bc any great fast mathematicians tell me how many years are between those two numbers did elijah did you know or did you do the math he knew so how many of you did the math and how many of you know how many years 70 70 years well is it 70 years What's interesting is that if you actually look at a timeline out in the hallway I have with lots of detail, there's actually three different blocks of 70 years. Three different blocks of 70 years, and you can see the details of those because here we see Ezekiel, and here we see Daniel. Now, how many years? Some of you said 70. Some of you said 50. The people who said 50 did the math. The people who said 70 thought they knew. You see... The captivity started with Daniel in 606 BC, and I know 586, that's six, you thought you could cheat on the numbers. The full 70 years of the captivity was there from 606 to 536, and I don't, didn't intend to actually get into all of this detail, but since you all got the 70 and the 50 wrong, I feel like I have to a little bit. Um, there's, there's the different aspects of 70 years that take place, and the 70 years of captivity go from 606 to 536, but there's also 70 years of desolation, and that was when the city of Jerusalem was desolated, was destroyed, to when the command was issued for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And so there's a 70 year, There's there's like three sets of 70, and they're staggered. And it's, a, it's an intriguing piece. And it, here, let me, let, me, let me share. Some of you get all, all, you know, you gloss out at timelines. And that's okay. I understand that. But be, be understand that it's important to know these things or to at least be aware of them on a little bit because many people attack the authority and inerrancy of Scripture because they say, see, there's a contradiction. See, there's a contradiction. See, there's a contradiction. But when you actually study it closer, you find there's no contradiction at all. In fact, actually, there's a lot of really intriguing detail. And this is one of the illustrations of it. Daniel shows the period of the captivity. This is where his ministry is. And it began in 606 BC. Remember, we've seen this chart before three dates, three major captivities in the days of the Babylonians. This is really an evidence of the long suffering of God. Has God ever dealt with you when you know you're doing something wrong and you know God is dealing with you and you say, no God, I'm going to keep doing my own thing? That's what the nation of Israel was doing in this day. They were in absolute rebellion against God and God tried to get their attention in 601, 606 BC when the first deportation took place. And then it wasn't called the first deportation. It was just the deportation. This is when Daniel was carried away captive. This is when his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were carried away captive. This is when the princes were carried away captive in fulfillment to the prophecy made to Hezekiah over 100 years before. 606 B.C. was the first captivity. But the nation of Israel wouldn't repent. They wouldn't turn to God. They wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. They wouldn't listen to the other prophets. How often do we not listen to our parents, not listen to wise counsel, and we just keep on doing our own thing in spite of the trouble that comes. Or maybe the trouble doesn't catch up with us yet. And that's one evidence we hold to ourselves. You might say, see, they got carried away captive, but I'm just happy here. Oh, beware, it will catch up with you. It caught up with the nation of Israel because in 597 there was a second deportation when guess what? The laborers, the tradesmen, they were carried away captive, including Ezekiel and Mordecai. This is when Kaniah, king, was carried away captive as well. And then you know the final destruction of Jerusalem came in 586 B.C. when all but the very, very poorest of the land were carried away captive. These dates, people have asked me, what's the significance of these dates? These dates are evidence of the long-suffering of God. The long-suffering of God in his patience in dealing with people. These people wouldn't listen, and these things were written for our learning. What are the dates in our lives when God is speaking to us, and we say, no, God, I got this. Oh, no. Let us take heed from these people in this time of history. Well, where does all these events take place? Well, they take place in Asia. They take place specifically in Asia Minor. The kingdom, the empire of Babylon is the purple you see here at its greatest point. But as we begin here, it's at its lesser point, as it's growing. This is when it encompassed all of Egypt down in the bottom left and all of Judah. But at the beginning here of Daniel, it didn't quite have all of that. It encompassed Judah at the beginning of Daniel. But the events continue, and most of the events of the book of Daniel take place over on the Euphrates River in that city called Babylon. Do you see the big red star? In that city called Babylon. As the events continue, though, we find out that Daniel, which is interesting looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and of how he by faith did all of these things, Daniel survived not only kings, but he survived empires. Because though the Babylonian empire 100 years ago was insignificant, at the beginning of Daniel, It's rising in great, great power. And not even in the middle of Daniel's life, it fails. And the Medes and the Persians, and here you different colors symbolize their expanse, conquer Babylon. And guess what? Daniel continues as one who is a ruler in that kingdom, in that empire. The book of Daniel is filled with evidence of Daniel's faith in God. Daniel trusted God, trusted God over and over and over, and God rewarded him for it over and over. And so our acronym, Daniel's faith, summarizing the book of Daniel. Chapter 1 is Daniel gaining favor with Nebuchadnezzar. He found favor with Nebuchadnezzar. And how did that happen? Well, Picture with me Daniel being carried away as a captive to the great magnificent city of, Jerusalem, of, of of Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon, an amazing city. Some of you have been to the Oriental Institute in Chicago, and those of you who haven't, put it on your bucket list as a field trip. You'll see some of the elements that have come in from even the gates here and the, the sculptures on the side of it, magnificent architecture, magnificent technology, this great kingdom of Babylon. Daniel, his three friends, are carried away to this city. The river Euphrates flowed right through the center of that city. It was a fortress. The walls were amazing and magnificent. The walls were so wide that two, it had a two-lane highway on top of a wall. Two chariots could ride side by side on the top of the wall of Babylon. But that wasn't the only wall. A little ways in or into the city, there was another wall where it was almost as magnificent. The city of Babylon was amazing, and this was the city that Daniel and other princes were carried away as captives, hostages, to be indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon so that the nation of Babylon could manipulate, really, the rest of their conquered kingdoms. And Daniel was a part of that big plan as one of those captives. Well, you remember that as time went by, nebuchadnezzar commanded them to begin their indoctrination you remember that daniel did something very special he purposed in his heart to not defile himself to obey god and he ended up having to stand alone and god blessed him we're going to look at that that history in the coming week and in the end of those three years though he rejected the king's meat why it's not recorded for us, whether it was unclean food or food offered to idols or what the details were, I don't know. But here in all of this, he he refused it. He stood alone. He purposed in his heart and then he obeyed God. And at the end of those three years, he and his three friends were the top of their class. They were given the highest positions in the government as they had gained favor with Nebuchadnezzar the king. Daniel's faith was real In Daniel chapter 1, as it was his faith that you might say he subdued kingdoms, just as is recorded there in Hebrews, as he gained favor with Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 2 tells us of him answering a king's dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he actually had intended to execute all of the wise men and astrologers and magicians in the entire kingdom because he demanded of them to tell him his dream, and obviously nobody could. Daniel heard of this. He says, Oh, don't, don't kill everybody because they were going to gather him up to kill him too. Give me some time. And God revealed to Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream of an image and not only the dream of that image, but what it meant. So Daniel came to Nebuchadnezzar and explained to him that he had it, dreamed of an image where the head was of gold, the chest and the arms were of silver, the belly was of bronze, the legs of iron and the feet of Of iron mixed with clay and that in his vision he saw a great stone not cut by hands come and destroy this stone and what did it all mean well he told Nebuchadnezzar that head of gold that's you that's the Babylonian Empire the golden of the empires the golden Empire that's you Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian Empire and those arms are the Medio persian Empire well here we find prophecy Daniel's giving prophecy of events that will be yet future. And he doesn't stop there. He keeps on going, for he goes on and describes the Greek empire as the belly of bronze and the Roman empire as the legs of iron. And then he talks of that iron mixed with clay, an empire yet future. And then he speaks of a stone. I like to think of it as a diamond stone that decimates all those kingdoms, and fills the whole earth. And he says, this is the kingdom of God. This kingdom is the millennial kingdom prophesied at the end of revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. And we see Daniel's faith and God using Daniel to give him the answer to the king's dream. Chapter three is Nebuchadnezzar's furnace of fire. Why? Nebuchadnezzar, he hears about his head of gold, and um, he decides he's going to make an image out of all gold, head to toe. Isn't that kind of ignoring the whole point of the, 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 the dream? And so that's what he does. But not only does he create this image, he tells everybody, bow down and worship it when you hear the music play. I don't know where Daniel was, but his three friends had faith in God because God said in his word, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and you're not to bow down thyself to them. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who'd been given pagan names, stood alone and would not bow. The king, (laughs) furious with them, gave them a second chance, and they still would not bow. And so they were cast into Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace, heated seven times hotter than it was wont to be heated, and they were thrown in there. But guess what? They lived. They quenched the fire, you may say. But it wasn't just the three that he Nebuchadnezzar saw in there. For it says that he saw the fourth as of the likeness of the Son of God. The pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ came and was with them in that furnace. And when they came out alive, there wasn't so much as uh, hair of their head singed. How many of you ever had a hair singed? Yeah, you don't have to get very close. You just kind of, sort of get there. and They didn't even have a hair singed. But get this. The ropes that tied them and bound them burned off and didn't burn them. God, through faith, delivered Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the fiery furnace, as recorded in Daniel chapter 3. Chapter 4 the interpretation of the dream vision. You would think Nebuchadnezzar would get the point now that there is one who ruleth in the kingdom of men. And this is a theme also of the book of Daniel is that we think ourselves great. We think ourselves strong. Here, this is the king. He's gone and he has conquered in many of these. This is all during the midst of all the conflict in Judah. These visions are taking place. This isn't after the fall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's still existing when these things are happening. He has his tree vision. I hope you know about this. We're going to learn about it. But this tree, and and, and Daniel comes, and God rewards Daniel's faith in him and reveals to him the meaning of this tree vision, this giant tree that was a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar, but it got chopped down. Uh Uh-oh. And God said, this would happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar, because you will not humble yourself. He was warned, humble yourself, humble yourself. Well, there's a lot of history that takes place in the next year. We're going to cover it when we come to this chapter. But after a year, Nebuchadnezzar comes back, and he sees all his riches, all his wealth. He sees his great Babylon, all that he had built. And he says, is not this the glory of my kingdom? And he thinks of himself as that great tree. And a voice from heaven called upon him, and he was humbled. He was abased before God. And actually for seven years he lived like an animal eating grass and living like an animal. An insanity which was temporary. At the end of that time Nebuchadnezzar came back and he declared that the God of Daniel is the God of gods that ruleth in the kingdom of men. Daniel Chapter 4, the interpretation of the tree vision. The E, chapter 5, is the events at Belshazzar's feast. Nebuchadnezzar fades off the scenes. Belshazzar becomes king. Remember those vessels here recorded in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2? Carried away captive from Jerusalem. In his drunken feast, he proclaims and declares that those vessels be brought out for their enjoyment, for their celebration, for their party. And they are. And in drunkenness and in debauchery, they celebrate their perversion their evilness, their glory. And in the midst of that feast, a hand appears and writes upon the wall, mine minea tikel uvarsen." You've been weighed. You've been measured. The time is at end, but he, he doesn't understand it. And there's someone there called the queen, very likely Nebuchadnezzar's wife, who remembers Daniel, this time an older man, It says, call him. Daniel came in, and he gave the interpretation of that dream. And that exact night, that October night, Darius the Mede conquered Babylon, entered that city, and Belshazzar was killed. And now we have a change of empire, and Daniel's faith has remained and caused him to be faithful and true so that when Darius the Mede comes in, He sets him up in power. Wow. Cyrus the Great comes, whom, by the way, is also a fulfillment of prophecy made a few hundred years before by Isaiah and even named, becomes the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Chapter 6. Daniel's still around, and now he's in the days of Darius, the king appointed in that place. And we have the lion's den of Darius. And you remember the account, there were some men who saw Daniel and they didn't like Daniel because Daniel was like the most powerful in the kingdom next to the king. And they wanted to remove him, but they couldn't find anything wrong with him. They couldn't find any fault. He was above reproach. They couldn't get him with anything. And so they decided the only way we can get this guy is we can get something with his God because Daniel was known to believe God and obey God and live righteously. And he was known to pray. Three times a day he would pray from his window, where everyone could see, towards Jerusalem. And they said, aha, here's where we get him. So they go to the king, and they say to the king, you see him down there, they, those guys down there in the bottom, they're looking at, they're looking at what's going on here. They, they come to the king and they say, oh king, live forever. Make a law, make a rule, that nobody can ask anything of any man or God, except you, for 30 days. They're going to trap Daniel. Now, this king actually liked Daniel, but nonetheless, he signed this law. He made it law. He proclaimed it. And the deal was that if you asked any man or God of anything in the next 30 days, you'd be cast into the den of lions. This was a form of execution. See them bones there? Those are the lions who have eaten the previous guys who got executed. Here's the execution. You go, you're going to get cast into the den of lions if you beseech any God or any man other than the king. Well, what did, what did, what did um, Daniel do? Well, he still prayed. He prayed three times a day as he had been wont to do. It was his normal thing to do. He continued to pray, and here you see these men bring the king to show, to see. Daniel is ignoring your command. It broke this king's heart, but nonetheless, he didn't have absolute power. He was bound by the laws of the Medes and Persians, which said that when you make a law, you can't change it. And that was a strategy, that you don't make stupid laws. It didn't work here. He made a stupid law. It was bound to be kept... And Daniel was cast into that den of lions to be devoured and eaten. But Daniel trusted in God. And even when he was threatened to be killed and thrown to the lions, still prayed to God. And when he was in with those lions, he prayed to God. And you know what happened as he was sealed in that den of lions overnight? God sent an angel and closed those lions' mouths that they did not hurt him. By faith, he stopped the mouths of lions. That's Daniel. He believed God, he trusted God, and God delivered him from those ferocious lions and protected him. Well, then we come to the next chapter, chapter 7, scenes of a coming kingdom. We have a lot of visions that continue through this, and we'll talk about these as we come to them. But this vision here is of these four beasts, and what's interesting is that they model the image that we also learned about before, these four beasts coming up out of the sea, and they're paralleled to this image. Now, by the way, I'll give you a little bit of a hint in Bible study. Many times, people want to learn about end-time events, and so they go to what book? Revelation. Don't do that. If you don't understand Daniel, you won't understand Revelation. Daniel is the foundation and the basis of Revelation. If you start in Revelation or you start in the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, 25, 26, there with Jesus, and you don't have the background of Daniel, you won't understand any of those other prophetic prophecies. It's not that you won't understand them at all, but you will be, you will be very easily led astray in certain areas because this is the foundation that's all built upon much of the history that's recorded here in the book of of Daniel. There's also some visions in Revelation, and they're calling back to these visions that were in the book of Daniel. These are prophecies of future events, and here we see in chapter 7 the scenes of the coming kingdoms. We have the features of the ram and goats recorded for us in chapter 8, and there's a vision of this, and you see that one um, beast there, the goat with that mighty great horn there. That's the first great king of Greece. And Daniel explicitly describes it. This is another reason why critics can't take Daniel because Daniel gives explicit detail of events that will take place. Describing the ram as media persia and the goat as Greece and the first king being Alexander the Great, conquering the Medes and the Persians. Vividly described. And then the details of it continue on and we'll get to it when we come to it. Fascinating, fascinating passage. In chapter nine is an incredible account of Prophecy. This chapter is absolutely key for understanding historical events and prophetic events as is recorded the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying and he has revealed this vision of the 70 weeks. I'm looking forward to teaching you about it. Then we have, oh, it jumped forward here, we have an introduction to the final vision and the terror of a king, and we have the horror of the end times, and these three chapters all kind of combined together in the last, and again, there are major prophecies of events that have been fulfilled and events that are yet to be fulfilled. We see Daniel exhibit all through his life, from the very beginning to the very end, faith in God. We see in his lifetime prophecies fulfilled, we see in his life prophecies made. We look back from this time in history, and we see the fulfillment of these prophecies. prophecies. It just makes us go, wow, our God does know the end from the beginning. And considering the more that we know our God, will we trust him like Daniel did? Will we believe in him? Will we have faith? In God, even when we can't see, when we can't understand everything that's going on around us, will we simply trust and obey? Just as one little application, I think of Daniel. How many of you are threatened with death for praying? None of us are, are we? None of us. So do we pray? Do we pray? Do we pray to our God who knows the end from the beginning? Do we obey him? I doubt that most of the things tomorrow you would do to obey God or today that you would do to obey God would cause you to be thrown into a fiery furnace. So why don't you obey? The basic answer is because you do not have faith. Because if we truly believed that God is God, that he is who he says he is, and that he has revealed to us the way in which we ought to live, we will obey. So let us not have Daniel's faith. Let us simply have faith in the one true God and trust and obey. Gracious God, we love you and praise you and thank you for your word. Teach us, fill us with your spirit, and may we obey. Lord Jesus, I think of your sacrifice on the cross when you died for our sins, was buried and rose again so that we could have your spirit, so that we could have everlasting life, so that you could live in us and give us hope of glory. We rejoice in that this morning. But great God, there are some here this morning who have not yet believed in Jesus, have not yet had their sins forgiven because they have not yet believed. I pray that they would believe on you, Lord Jesus, and be saved, that they may receive your Holy Spirit so that they can walk by faith, believing you day by day and obeying you day by day. May you be glorified, dear God, in each one of our lives and hearts. We pray in your precious name. Amen.